It is great to be with y'all this morning, and today actually begins a new series, but it's going to be hard to tell that you're starting a new series. Uh, we've been looking at encounters with Jesus, and we're actually calling this series um, Eyewitness Views, which is individuals who had an eyewitness account of what it was like to be with Jesus. So it's going to be very similar in nature. Uh, I was very... Uh, early in ministry and still trying to figure out uh, what ministry would look like for me. I was blessed to have multiple opportunities to speak in various venues, including camp meetings and revivals. On multiple occasions, I had the privilege of serving alongside one of my heroes of the Wesleyan Church named Norman Wilson. He was the voice of the Wesleyan Hour, a radio program that was on the air for more than 40 years, and he was actually the speaker the entire time through its life. He had actually been ordained in my home church in Alexandria, Virginia, although that was clearly long before I was probably even thought of. I'm so much younger than I look. Um, so, <laughs> Following one of our camp meetings, I received a letter in the mail from Norman Wilson. This was back in the day when people actually knew how to write a letter and to use the postal service. The postal service is a thing that generations ago, if you wanted someone to know what you thought, that's how you communicated to them if you weren't right there with them. The letter was short and it was to the point. He didn't get into any specifics about my preaching style or the content of my message. He simply said, the Lord is going to do great things through you. And then you could almost read the pause. If you don't blow it. <laughs> I saved that letter as a word of encouragement and a constant reminder of how fragile ministry can be, especially if we take our eyes off the prize. Unfortunately, the last part of that statement was very easy to follow. There have been far too many ministers who were destined to do great things, but somewhere along the way, they blew it. They allowed pride or temptation to get the best of them, and they ended up having to leave ministry. So I knew exactly what Norman was saying. But it's that first line that I want us to talk about today. I told you that he was one of my heroes of the Wesleyan Church. So his statement that the Lord is going to do great things through you meant something to me. While it was encouraging, it was also a bit intimidating. There's a lot of pressure, at least that's the way it felt to me. Well, can you imagine the pressure that was on Peter throughout his entire ministry? In his first encounter with Jesus, Peter is invited to leave his fishing business and to become a fisher of men. And then as the Gospels continue, we see Peter as more than just one among the many. He stands out as a leader among his fellow disciples. In fact, listen to Matthew 16, verse 13 to 19. In this passage, we see Jesus promising greatness. Listen to it. Again, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he answered, or he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Of course, this passage reveals the fact that Peter is beginning to understand a little more about who Jesus truly is. It's not just by his own head knowledge from what he sees. Clearly, the Father has revealed this to you. But it's worth noting that none of the other disciples speaks up to answer Jesus' question. The first question, who do men say that I am? Multiple individuals appear to respond. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. And there's all this discussion, but no one answers the question of who do you say that I am? All the disciples are seeing the same things and they're hearing the same things, but they haven't yet grasped what's going on here. Or perhaps they're just not as confident as Peter seems to be. It's important to note that none of the disciples, including Peter, had all of the answers. They're all works in progress, just as we are intended to be. But again, you can imagine the pressure that would come with Jesus's declaration, which followed. His name, Peter, would literally have been translated rock. But Jesus is declaring here that you're going to be foundational to what happens within the Christian faith. This is a promise of greatness. Jesus says, on you. Remember, his name means rock. On this rock, on you, I will build my church. And hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to heaven and the authority to bind things on earth and in heaven, and even the power to set men free. Let me just say that if Peter didn't already have a big head, he certainly had one by the end of this conversation. I mean, think about it. He calls Peter by name. As Jesus begins to speak, he says, Peter, on you. On this rock, I will build my church. This isn't a statement that's addressed to all of the disciples. This is you, Peter. Talk about pressure. What about all the doubts and the questions? I mean, Peter would have likely had so many questions. You know, on the one hand, there's a part of me that wishes the Lord would simply tell me word for word what he has in store for me. Although I guess he doesn't really do that with Peter either. He just tells him that he's going to play a significant role in the church moving forward. He also promises him success, although the future would reveal that Peter's success would come at a great price. 
Traditionally, Peter's death is recorded as being on a cross, being hung upside down. In fact, I would add that there's another part of me that would rather the Lord not tell me specifically what he has in store for me. Maybe knowing the hardships and the difficulties that lie ahead, it might become a stumbling block to me in some way or another. It's like the grieving widow whose husband dies unexpectedly. Had she known the pain that would come at the end, she might have been hesitant to love in the first place. But then she also would have missed out on all the blessings that were available within that love. So maybe, maybe it's better not to have all the answers and the details about what tomorrow will look like, but rather just being able to trust the one who is going to walk with me wherever he takes me along the way. You notice that Peter never asks any questions when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. The truth is, he didn't need all the answers. What he needed to know was that the Lord would be with him. But there also would have been a lot of pressure associated with this statement. You're talking about some pretty big shoes to fill, Peter. Are you going to be able and up to the task? In the months and the years that would follow, Peter would demonstrate that at times he was up to the task and at other times he was not. At times he seems arrogant. At times he seems like a coward. At times he seems devoted to Christ. At other times he seems devoted to his own will. And Jesus is having to declare to him, get thee behind me, Satan. There's a whole lot of preparation that would have to come in Peter if he were to ever see the promise of greatness fulfilled in him. In fact, all of those promises that Jesus gave that day as he told him, on this rock I will build my church, all of those statements are future tense statements he doesn't say, here are the keys. He said, I will give you the keys. I wonder if some of us who are listening today are going through some of that preparation stuff right now. Things that we may or we may not enjoy, but it's all about preparing us for what is to come. What's intriguing to me is that this guy, Peter, has the head knowledge of what is going on. Peter is able to answer Jesus' question, even when none of the other disciples could. In addition, he's learning incredible wisdom from his time with Jesus. But the truth is that all of his knowledge, all of his Jewish pedigree, all of his natural outspoken abilities, none of those things were enough to make him ready for greatness. The statement is there, on this rock, I will build my church, but it's not today. Because even though you've got this head knowledge, even though you've got this pedigree, even though you've got these talents and abilities, you're still not ready. Before I get into what he needed, let me also say that I believe this is a struggle for many of us too. For far too many of us, we go to school to get an education to achieve knowledge or maybe even just to get credit for time served. But our knowledge is not enough. In fact, I hate to say this, but as a pastor, 
probably 90% or more of what I have learned about ministry, I had to learn through experience, not in a classroom. So your knowledge is not enough, but neither is your pedigree. So you come from a good family with godly parents or maybe godly grandparents. So you were raised in the church. So what? That does not hurt you to have that, but that does not somehow give you enough to be prepared for greatness. Your gifts, your abilities, they may be overwhelming. You may be able to do certain things that every other person out here would love to be able to do, and you're better at it than anyone we've ever seen. And you should be a good steward with your talents or abilities, but don't be fooled into thinking that this is all you need. You see, Peter has all of these things, but there's still something missing. And although he's been promised greatness, he's not ready for it. So what needs to change in order for him to experience this greatness? I mentioned it earlier, but in the years that would follow, Peter would have many ups and downs. And his ups were really amazing. You're talking about a guy who had a front row seat to the feeding of the 5,000. He saw many miraculous healings. He was able to experience what's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus, in many ways, it almost seems like he glows and he's with all of these other saints of the past. He even got to walk on water with Jesus. Those ups were really great ups, but his lows also were very, very low. Not only did he constantly put his foot in his mouth, but he was also the one who would deny Christ three times. The last time, realizing what he had done, and according to the scriptures, he would then go away and weep bitterly. I talked a little bit about it last Sunday, but can you imagine how low he must have felt as Jesus laid temporarily lifeless in the tomb? He had failed Jesus. He had declared his love for Jesus. Yet he was afraid to even mention that he knew Jesus. Can I suggest to you that Peter's experience of brokenness would actually be a necessary step for him as he, he was prepared for greatness? It's ironic, isn't it? With his wisdom, pedigree, and his natural talent, most people would have looked at him and said, you're already ready for that greatness. It is within your grasp. But the truth is that he would not yet be ready as he needed to experience brokenness and realize that his greatness was not enough. His knowledge, his pedigree, his talent, they were good, but they weren't enough for him to be able to become great the way Jesus spoke of him. Well, the Lord knew of Peter's brokenness. He knew the depth of his newfound low, the weight of regret that he carried following the crucifixion. And that's why when Jesus addressed Mary at the tomb, she was told to go and tell Peter and the other disciples. Why was Peter singled out that day? It is because God knew that Peter needed to know that it wasn't too late. And it's not too late for you either. 
Here's a thought. I wonder how many of us somewhere along the way had this vision of what God was going to do in and through us. We believe that God wanted to accomplish something great in our own lives. And we look back and we wonder, why did we never achieve that greatness? Maybe some of it is by our own choices. Maybe for some of us, we've acted rather selfishly. And maybe we feel like that has taken away the opportunity for that greatness. Or maybe the opportunity has just never unfolded and we've never really understood why. I want you to know today that it's not too late for you just as it wasn't too late for Peter. Humble yourselves before the Lord and allow all of your pride to be pushed aside and the Lord can still do great things in and through you. But you must be willing to humble yourself first. And then watch to see how the Lord chooses to work. In Peter's case, following the resurrection of Christ, we see Jesus specifically addressing Peter. He's already kind of tried to reach out to him a little bit. Jesus never actually calls out the specific betrayal by Peter. But you can read between the lines a little bit. I want to look at another passage of scripture real quick from John chapter 21, where Jesus addresses Peter, verses 15 to 17. Listen to what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, can you imagine this encounter, what it must have been like? This is following the crucifixion of Jesus and even the resurrection of Jesus. All of these disciples are grieving. They're a little confused. They're not really sure what to do with themselves. So they decide, let's go fishing. It was what they knew. It was what they did prior to their experience with Jesus Christ. But these experienced fishermen catch nothing. They probably thought to themselves, we've been away from fishing way too long. Actually, this encourages me when I go fishing and I can't catch anything at all. So often it's because I am impatient, I get it. But even the disciples who are experienced fishermen sometimes catch nothing at all. Well, as morning dawns, they find themselves about 100 yards from the shore where they see a man who instructs them regarding how to fish. Remember that they're experienced fishermen. And probably there's a part of them where they're thinking, who does this guy think he is telling us how to fish? And then you almost picture one of the disciples saying, we didn't catch anything, don't say that. So they'll try anything after a long night of not catching anything, and they do. And God provides a miraculous catch of fish, so much so that they're not able to haul it in. Suddenly it registers with John that this man on the shore must be Jesus. So he says to Peter, it is the Lord. 
Peter suddenly jumps into the water, eager to get to the shore, eagerly wanting to spend time with Jesus. Eventually, they all find themselves on the seashore and reclining for a meal. And you got all these side conversations that are going on while Jesus ends up in a one-on-one conversation with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Now, this is a question that is directly related to Jesus and Peter's conversation at the Last Supper. At that meeting, Jesus was talking about betrayal, and Peter declared that he loved Jesus more than everyone else. He added that even if everyone else turned away, that he would never deny Christ. I guess that in hindsight, you could say that it was Peter's pride that had spoken that night. Well, Jesus doesn't mention their last conversation. Peter would have immediately made the connection. He remembered, he knew that he had been wrong. His knowledge, pedigree, and talent weren't enough to keep him on the right track. So Peter responds with a simple statement of acknowledgement saying, you know that I love you. But there's been an awful lot of this conversation that gets lost in translation. And maybe you've heard me share this before, but maybe it's worth hearing again. When Jesus asked Peter, if you truly love me more than these, Jesus uses the word agape. He says, agape me, Peter. Agape does mean love, but it is a specific type of love. It is an unconditional, limitless kind of love. It would have been the type of love that Peter had expressed to Jesus back at the Last Supper. I love you more than anything, more than anyone. If others deny you, if others betray you, I would never. But Peter's response is different here in John. The NIV says that you know that I love you. But the love that is used here by Peter is phileo love. This is a different kind of love. It still means love, but it is a brotherly love. It's where we get the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It is a love that you often share with multiple other people, almost declaring that you are like family to me. But it's nowhere near the same as agape love. Remember that one is limitless and extreme, while the other is somewhat generic. So Jesus asks the question, agape me, Peter? And Peter responds, phileo say, I love you, but I love you like a brother. So Jesus asks the question again, agape me, Peter? In other words, that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you if you love me as a brother. I asked you, do you love me with all your heart unconditionally? And again, Peter says, phileo say, Jesus, I love you as a brother. What a contrast we see from the Last Supper to now in this passage. 
Peter has moved from being so arrogant that he perceived his love to be greater than everyone else's to the point that he is now afraid to even declare his limitless love for Jesus. Something has changed drastically in him. Jesus asked Peter a third time, and perhaps that's symbolic of the fact that Peter had denied Christ three times, but more likely for the purpose of fully restoring Peter. But as Jesus asks the third time, everything about it is different. This time, Jesus says, phileo me, Peter? In other words, I've already asked you twice, do you love me with all of your heart? But you couldn't answer me directly. Peter, do you even love me as a brother? Can you imagine the broken heart that Peter experiences at that moment? The passage tells us that Peter was grieved that Jesus had asked this question a third time, but I can't help but wonder if it wasn't not the quantity of the question, but the specific question that was being asked that third time. I want to summarize Peter's response. Lord, you know my heart. In fact, you know it even better than I do. I thought that I could say, yes, I agape you more than life itself. I would give everything. I knew for sure, but you knew better. You know my heart even better than I do. You know that I love you. But if you have to ask whether I even love you as a brother, then I don't know. What Peter reveals in his response is exactly how broken he really is. It's no longer about how great Peter is. It's not about his talents or his knowledge or his pedigree. It's a realization that he is not good enough on his own. And I suggest that we need the same thing if we are ever to become all that God would have us be. We talked earlier about his knowledge, pedigree, and talents that Peter brought to the table. I want you to notice that Jesus never addresses any of these. It's not that you're not smart enough, Peter. It's not the problem. Instead of focusing on all of these things that we often use to define our potential for greatness, Jesus focuses not on talents, pedigree, not on any of those things. Knowledge, Jesus focuses on Peter's love for Christ in a very practical way. I will just say that I know that I am not the smartest pastor. I know that there are other pastors out there who have had a lot more experiences than I have. And I know that there are others who have a ton more talent than I do. But what I also know is that I love the Lord more than anything else. And I am trusting that as I honor him, he will make up the difference for all the areas that I fall short. Following each of these questions, Jesus gives Peter instructions to care for his sheep or for his lambs. And what Jesus is saying is, now you're ready for the greatness that I promised you years before. And in the days that would follow, 
God would pour out his spirit upon Peter and the other disciples. And one of the greatest movements in human history would begin and it would spread like wildfire. But I want you to notice that even on the day of Pentecost, we're not going to turn there, but it's found in Acts chapter 2, such a beautiful story about the outpouring of God's spirit. But on that day, it was Peter, the one who oftentimes spoke with arrogance and pride, but the one who knew what it was to be broken and knew that all that he had was not enough without Jesus. It was Peter who stood up and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. What changed? First of all, Peter was broken. Peter was restored and the spirit of God was now dwelling in him. Peter had to ready his own heart before he could truly be available to lead in the days ahead. In the days ahead, what about you? Do you believe that God has called you to greatness? Are you ready to make it about Him and not about you? This is such a struggle for us. <laughs> so often, it's all about making sure. Most of us have dreams. We had them since we were kids, and you dreamed about the things that were going to take place in your life. And you, you dreamed about the person you were going to marry and the type of work that you would do and the success that you would have. The key element in all of it was you. It was all about you and what you wanted for yourself. What is God's vision for you? What is it that God wants to do in you? Did you know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life? So I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've even thought about that. Well, God says, I, I do have a plan for you. Do you believe that God wants to do something great in and through you? Are you ready to allow that plan to play out? If it's still going to be about you, it's not going to work. It's not about you. It's about him. I want to know when I die that my life made a difference. Not because I want to be recognized, but because I want to know that I have been an ambassador for Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, we used to go and walk through cemeteries. Actually, I, I kind of think it's cool even today. To be able to see some of the things that people put on headstones. Often... It gives a little glimpse of what their life was like. I think the older tombstones, you tended to see a little more detail. Nowadays, it's just a name and then the dates of being born and the date that they died. There was a time that people would write something on their tombstone. A godly father. Someone who cared about all people a patriot, what would they write on your tombstone? You know what I want? A man of God who lived it. I want that to be my story. Are you available for whatever God has in store for you today? If the answer is yes, man, let's, let's make it God's way. Let's do it that way right now. Every day moving forward, let's live in response to that. I believe today that God wants to do great things through the people of this church. 
But if we're not willing to allow ourselves to be humbled enough to say, God, I want it your way and not my way, then we'll never experience that. I want you to experience that. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we are so honored that you would invite us to be a part of your great work. As I think of Peter and I think of the other disciples, I recognize that you did not need a single one of them to accomplish your will. You could have done it all. You could have chosen to send revival throughout the land and none of those 12 disciples would have been necessary. Lord, you chose to invite them to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Peter in particular, you gave him the promise that his life would matter, that he would make a difference, that the world would be changed, not because of how talented he was, not because of how much information he had or because of his family background, but because you were the one who was doing the work in him. Father, I pray today that you would move in such a way in our lives that we could become instruments much like Peter, individuals who would change the world around us in a way that would honor you. Father, I pray today that you would make clear your vision and purpose for our lives. But I also pray that you would help us to walk this journey in such a way that when that time comes, we will be ready to fulfill that purpose. I pray for the young people who don't yet know what the vision or purpose may be. I pray that you would give them your clear vision or purpose. I pray for those who perhaps they've been so long since that vision was laid out before them that it almost seems unattainable. Father, I pray that you would renew the vision within them. And I pray that you would work in them in such a way that they would know that it's not too late for a second chance. Father, again, we thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for what you're going to do. And we look forward to seeing how you work in these people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to have each of you with us. And I love the story of Peter and the fact that he was destined for something great. I want you to know that you're all destined for something great. But I'm going to tell you, if you're not willing to do it God's way, it's not going to happen. And that's uh, so often a pastor will stand up there and they'll stand in the pul pulpit and tell you about how great you're going to be. And it's such an encouraging message. And I want you to be encouraged. But I cannot leave out the fact that you have a responsibility in this to walk in such a way that you become almost a reflection of God's heart. Make sure that that's you. By the way, this, this morning in the second service, we are going to be baptizing uh, five individuals and very excited to have some of our uh, young people and newer folks coming to uh, reach a point where they are ready to declare their faith in Jesus Christ. I will put some of the pictures from that actually on the screen for those next week who aren't able to stick around. Uh, if you want to come, it's going to be toward the end of the service. You're welcome to come back and be a part of that as well. But uh, looking forward to it. And next week, we've got some more baptisms that are on the way also. So thank you so much for being with us this morning and go in peace.